These aren't my favorite songs. They're not even necessarily the best songs, but rather my life as a playlist. When I was preparing for this week's show, I was told that maybe an episode on women's anger and burnout wouldn't make the most sense thematically. Following two weeks of lighter, here's the overview of my life and playlist. But since men trying to control or regulate women's anger is a big part of the problem I'm addressing today, I refuse to be deterred. So I got my Beyonce, my feminist country playlist loaded up and got to work. For the next 20 minutes or so, I'm challenging you all, especially men, to listen with an open heart and an open mind on what a day in the life of being a woman in the United States is like, the effects that's having on our physical and mental health, and how we can all be part of the solution. And I would also like to acknowledge that part of the reason I have to make this kind request is because there's a high likelihood that as soon as you clicked on this broadcast, or even read the description, and learned this was going to be an angry woman ranting on the internet, your immediate reaction was just to log off or not click on the show at all. I've seen this happen to women podcaster acquaintances of mine, and I'd like to note the podcasting itself skews heavily white and heavily male. In fact, only 30% of the top 480 podcasts, according to Quartz.com in 2019, were hosted by women. And even worse, only 10% were hosted by either men or women of color. Part of my motivation for this week's topic is because I'd witnessed a professional woman, a former attorney and current corporate coach and political activist, who broadcasts her show five days a week, has done so for the past four years, answering questions about the day's political events and providing direction to her listeners on how to become more politically engaged was asked an unusually high number of questions about things that were clearly conspiracy theories or that could be answered by a five-second Google search. When she answered tersely in the pre-broadcast question feed and then gave a passionate lecture about improving our media literacy skills, she was derided all through the comments for being too loud, too angry, told a terrible teacher doesn't shame, along with demands for her to be kinder, more sensitive, play more of a therapist role with her audience because we're all going through tough times right now. This is a single mother of two who has been trying to run a business and educate her children from home, while also running this broadcast that's a service to the community for far less than she's worth, only Patreon donations. I was angry on her behalf, because seriously, not to compare this broadcaster with Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh or Joe Rogan, because she's nothing like them, can you possibly imagine a huge swath of listeners writing to or calling Sean or Rush or Joe and just asking them not to yell so much, or not to be so mean, or told that they should coddle and handhold their listeners, or that they'd lose a significant portion of their audience while passionately discussing a topic? I can't picture it. So, that's the end of this long diversion. Let's jump into a day in the life of a woman in the United States. These are the reasons I drink The reasons I tell everybody I'm fine even though I am not Quick day in my life Wake up, check Twitter, do crossword puzzles in bed Clean the kitchen, make coffee, check work emails, wake up my kids Work out at some point do Zoom calls with students at some point, usually great, try to take a walk, sometimes grocery shop, cook or order dinner, watch movies or shows, play board games or do a puzzle, play the Scrabble app on my phone, and fall asleep. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Well, 
I have news for you. It's really, really awesome. There's not a single day that I'm not intensely grateful for my family, my career, my home, my health, my life. So, if I'm so grateful, why am I so burnt out? Why am I angry? Didn't I just warn you all I was going on an angry rant? Yes and no. It's not so much that the average American woman is angry, it's that she's tired. And tired people are frustrated. And when women express frustration, we're perceived as angry. Even though when men express the same frustration, they're not called shrill, but instead tough and principled. Take this week. When presidential nominee Joe Biden railed against Trump's vile words disparaging the troops, he was celebrated for his anger. But when Senator Harris employed the same passion for anti-segregated schooling in one of the Democratic primary debates, she was lambasted for her anger, accused of being mean, even called a mad woman. I'm glad Biden is angry too. It's an appropriate emotional response. But why do we only deem it appropriate when it comes from the mouth of a man? Anyway. While you may label today's show as anger, and while anger is a completely justified emotion, no, I'm not angry about my very privileged middle-class life. However, that doesn't mean patriarchy and toxic masculinity doesn't permeate our interactions and relationships from the time we wake up until we finally, finally thank the lords above go to sleep at night. So, let's start again with what a day in the life is like, below the surface. Wake up in the morning, probably tired since women are 20 percentage points more likely than men to have sleep issues. After dragging yourself out of bed, if you have children, you're far more likely to have to manage waking up the other members of your household, make sure they have breakfast or at least access to it, and you're also more likely the one washing the dishes and cleaning the counters from the night before. No, you didn't leave them in the sink after last night's dinner. These are just the ones your older kids, maybe you have teens, left from late night snacking. Women spend twice as much time doing housework as men, even when they both have full-time jobs. And, speaking of your job, you have to spend more money on clothes, makeup, soaps, hair products, perfumes, etc., etc., to make yourself presentable. And, after doing the morning housework, now you also spend roughly 40 more minutes per day using those products readying yourself. Well, just scrap that, you say. It's 2020, and you don't need makeup. Buzzed hair is trendy. Know that there's a huge body of research showing that if you're a woman who forgoes these rituals, you'll make significantly less money. So, you turn on your pump-up playlist and Lizzo's Truth Hurts, her first Billboard Top 100 number one hit, for which she also won the Grammy for Best Pop Solo Performance, starts to play, and you allow her message of self-love and body positivity to wash over you, and for those few moments, you feel like a badass. However, afterward, If you're like 91% of women in the United States, you look in the mirror, you still dislike your appearance, internalizing all the other messages you've received from television, movies, music, and social media that say you're just not quite good enough. And God forbid you're over 35 and show any signs of aging on your face. If you're not already exhausted from anxiety, negative self-talk, and lack of sleep, managing everyone in your household, and spending an inordinate amount of time to look societally acceptable for your office or for Zoom meetings. Now if you're a mother, you've also got to get your children logged into Zoom, deal with failing technology, confusion over new programs, and kids who rightfully and understandably would rather do just about anything than sit in their own Zoom calls for six to seven hours. I don't blame them. 
Maybe you put on your favorite female broadcaster only to hear her be called shrill and angry for daring to have thoughts and opinions at a decibel level over 60. In the before times, you might have tried to hit the gym. Weightlifting and cardio are great stress relievers, but in a 2019 survey of 890 women, 75% reported having had an uncomfortable interaction at the gym, with the most common ones being men infiltrating their personal space when lots of other space is clearly available, interrupting workouts to offer unsolicited advice or hit on them, or overt and prolonged staring. I had my own situation at the gym shortly before it got shut down for COVID when a man threw his gym bag under the machine, but I was face down, so his sweaty duffel was inches from my face that I was working on, grunting, hey, I can leave my bag here, right? And then staring at me, making me so frustrated and uncomfortable that I left the machine, although I'd barely started using it and had several reps left to go. Then, when I shared that story, most people told me I was overreacting and being too sensitive, rather than empathize with why what he did made me so uncomfortable. Anyway, if your gym is closed now, maybe you do a less productive home workout, which is maybe a good thing, because if you get too muscular using those fancy gym weights and machines, then you're judged for that too, because women are supposed to be toned, but not hard. So, then you hop on Zoom. After you're ignored or had your male colleagues interrupt you or parrot your ideas and then get credit as though they were their own, and when you did speak, you worried about what you were going to say, chose your words carefully, and then agonized afterward hoping you didn't say something wrong, because women are judged much more harshly for their mistakes in the workplace, you get to make lunch for your kids. As you're making lunch, you get pinged by one of those same men who dismissed you at the meeting, asking if he could just pick your brain or if you could just take a look at his latest book, story, article, etc., and let him know what you think. Basically be a free consultant, as these requests from men never come with an offer of money, because men believe they're owed your time and labor. After you've ignored his request and have made three different lunches, because although you know you shouldn't, you just don't have it in you to deal with confrontation today, And now some of you are trying really hard not to judge this mother for not forcing her kids to eat one meal. That's another joy of being a mother. You either discipline your kids too harshly or you don't discipline them enough. There's not really a right way to be anything. You're either too made up for the day, why do you have on so much makeup, or not enough, why have you given up, and you work out too much, why aren't you just satisfied with your body the way it is, or not enough, why don't you care about your health to stay in great shape. You're beyond exhausted, and it's not even 3 p.m. But now, in my case, if you're a teacher, it's time for office hours with your students. And this is something I've discussed with Robert, how it's different to be a teacher if you're a man versus a woman. If you're a man, and you have a hobby, and you tell your students on the first day of class that you like D&D, they say, cool. But if you're a woman, and you tell your students you love the Pittsburgh Steelers, they ask you how many Super Bowls they've won and in which years they've won them. Ha, easy. Or they ask if you know their entire offensive roster for the season. A little tougher. Essentially, your credentials are always challenged. And the second you forget a wide receiver, it's, ha, I knew this 40-something woman didn't know football. Not once in a decade have I had a female student ask me this type of question. If you're a man, your students will refer to you as Dr. Black or Professor Black. And if you're a woman, they'll refer to you as Mrs. Black. Because, again, If you're a man, you're credible, and if you're a woman, you're defined by your marital status rather than your profession. If you're a man and a teacher, your students will ask you questions about assignments. 
If you're a woman and a teacher, your students will also ask you questions about assignments, and then they'll tell you all about their personal lives in a way they almost never share with their male instructors. And I must say that I absolutely love, love, love the counseling aspects of my job. When people ask me what I love most about teaching, it's these one-on-one conversations and mentoring relationships I have with my students. And I'm not saying that male professors and teachers don't counsel students or aren't invested in their personal well-being. I know they are. And that's not to say that every female teacher spends countless hours personally mentoring and providing therapy of sorts to students. I know they don't. But research does show that students demand, quote, more special favors and friendship behaviors from their female professors, resulting in more actual work demands and more labor, end quote. And that when female professors have the audacity to deny these requests, they are more likely to have students complain and give them poor course evaluations. Quote, female professors may consequently be more likely to experience burnout and low job satisfaction than their male counterparts, end quote, according to a 2018 study. Poor course evaluations and burnout can also affect women's likelihood to be promoted and therefore have negative financial effects as well. Of course, this isn't a phenomenon specific to teaching. Women are expected to do more emotional labor defined as, quote, the expectation that women are supposed to take care of emotional needs and any social activities in the workplace, end quote, Headley says in his article for Fast Company. Quote, we're also talking about the extra emotional labor that women have to go through in order to be smiling at work, in order to live up to the expectations of how we're supposed to behave when we are at work, end quote. When women dare to violate these expectations, they're punished, being labeled, yes, once again, brusque or uncaring or angry, rather than decisive or a leader. Numerous studies have shown that women who succeed in male domains are disliked. See Hillary Clinton, whose favorability skyrockets once awarded a position like Secretary of State, but plummets again when seeking power like the presidency. And women are also judged if they promote themselves they're deemed less hireable. C. Stacey Abrams, who was labeled too ambitious because she had the audacity to say she'd gladly accept the position of vice president. Once you've completed your emotional labor at work, you come home or log off your computer in this pandemic world. And yes, I realize again that this is a very middle-class-centric scenario. For working-class women and women of color, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what they're enduring, often endangering their health and their lives and lower-wage jobs. So, if you're lucky enough to work a job where you log off from your computer, now you're much more likely than your male partner or spouse to give emotional energy to your children. Your children are much more likely to go to you with their problems with school, their romantic relationships and friendships, and you're ecstatic that your kids talk to you, because this is a reflection of good parenting, and you love your kids. But, you are spending 25% more time than your spouse on active parenting every day, and engaging in these difficult conversations often after you're already exhausted from work. And if one day you've had too much and aren't listening attentively or respond less than lovingly, then you're chastised for being a cold or toxic mother, even if you respond kindly most of the time. Mothers are blamed whenever anything goes wrong. Mothers even used to be blamed for their children's mental and physical illnesses. Oh, we don't blame mothers, usually we don't at least, for having a child with schizophrenia or autism anymore. Maybe that's true. But See the last two decades of Dr. Phil to see how much of a cultural norm blaming mothers still is. It's a billion-dollar industry. 
After you've solved one relationship drama, one friendship drama, and helped with a bajillion school assignments, now it's time for you to figure out what's for dinner for the 976,432nd day in a row. Oh, and one child's vegan, another's gluten-free, the other a carnivore, and there's a global pandemic and your grocery store shelves are half empty. But finally everyone is fed, so now, maybe now, you'll have at least 30 minutes to yourself. But your spouse has missed you all day, so he wants you to spend time with him. And you really want to spend time with him because you miss him too. But you also just want to watch Real Housewives or Golden Girls reruns while sipping a pumpkin spice latte and eating copious amount of potato chips straight from the bag, and not even caring if you get crumbs everywhere. But again, wanting to avoid the judgment that comes along with liking female-centric entertainment and eating whatever you want, you agree to sit on the couch with your spouse and watch what he wants to watch as long as you can just turn your brain off by scrolling through your phone. So, you open your Scrabble app or Words with Friends app, and you have dozens of game requests for middle-aged men. And while you've devised ways to ignore or block those who only invite you to play games so they can send obnoxious, flirtatious messages, still, some slip through the cracks. And can't you just play a damned online game for 15 minutes without being propositioned by strangers who, if you're polite and respond with something innocuous, will assume you're interested and escalate the flirting, but if you ignore, we'll send you a half dozen messages in a row telling you that you're rude and insist they're just trying to be nice, and the least you could do is engage in pleasant conversation. In 2019, more than half of women report being sexually harassed while online gaming. And the typical response here is, well, just log off, just don't play. But think about that. Again, we're blaming women for just wanting to spend their time doing something fun, rather than the perpetrators who are enacting this behavior. You log off, and it's late in the evening, and you start panicking about the state of the country, and you really should get ready for bed. It's late, but damn it, there's an election in two months, and since you're on your phone anyway, you decide to text bank for a while, and you've encouraged everyone in your family to get involved as well, but they don't, which is typical as women with full-time jobs and families still spend 10-30% to 30% more time volunteering than men. I went to my own Postcards for Voters events over the spring a few times, and it was 90-95% to 95% women each time I went. Finally, after you're so exhausted you can barely drag yourself upstairs to bed, you crawl into bed and your head hits the pillow and you lay there alone with your thoughts, and in comes flooding all the guilt. Guilt that your house isn't as clean as it should be, that you didn't spend as much time with your kids as you should have, you're not feeding your kids healthy enough and you ate too much junk yourself, you didn't work out as hard as you should have, and maybe you should have been a little nicer in that email to your confused student, and you're also not working enough, and will that one hour of text banking really make any difference whatsoever, and maybe you should have worn something other than this ratty t-shirt and shorts to bed to keep your spouse's attention, but then he, not caring about your ratty clothing, pulls you close, and as he holds you in his arms, you breathe a sigh of relief for the first time today, feeling warmth and comfort and, oh shit, Oh no, he wants to have sex. Not only does he want to have sex, but he wants you on top, and you're in love with him, and you're attracted to him, but your brain immediately does calculations as to when you last had sex, and whew, it's only been a few days. So you murmur that you can't, and he says, are you sure, and you contemplate it for a moment. You know it'll only take a few minutes, but the thought of moving at all is more than you can bear. So you nod, and he's a good man. So now you add the guilt over refusing him sex to the day's events, and then you have to pee again, so you get up, and then you come back, and he's rolled over, and right before you crash from the night, you've moved on from obsessing about your inadequacies that day to the long list of things you need to accomplish tomorrow. And 
That's one day in the life of the middle-class American woman. Before I end today's show, I also must note, as I was writing it, I was interrupted at least 37 times to listen to one child shares thoughts on movies, another needing guidance and reassurance about school, and a spouse who's telling me all about his own podcast writing as he sees I'm literally mid-sentence writing mine because he's a man and although he's a good one, he has thoughts that need shared now, even though I almost never interrupt his writing process. And that's one day. But it's not one day. It's the next day and the next day and the day after that. And if you're a white woman like me in a middle-class city in Los Angeles County with a graduate degree and a career, you have it easier than nearly every woman in America. Yes, I struggle with mental health and chronic illness, and I don't want to minimize either. But the truth is, I'm incredibly fortunate and incredibly privileged. If you're also a single mom or a woman of color, or live in an area plagued by environmental racism, or physical actual racism with an over-police state, it's exponentially harder. Let's not also exclude women who choose not to have children or who can't have children. Remember, ladies, whatever you do comes with a nice steaming side of unwanted judgment. And then, maybe one day you snap, and everybody wonders why you're such a psycho bitch. You need therapy. You need medicated. Women are more than twice as likely to have anxiety disorders, major depression, and PTSD than men. Antidepressant use has jumped 65% for women in the past decade alone, and more than one quarter of women are now medicated for mental illnesses. I'm in no way suggesting that stress is the cause for mental illness, or that it's wrong for women to take medication. I am absolutely not. More diagnoses means more women are receiving mental health care, which is a great thing. But we also cannot dismiss environmental and stress as contributing factors. Forgive us if we put on our headphones and blast Alanis Morissette's Reasons I Drink, which hit the adult top 40 charts this year, and is as perfect a woman's anthem for 2020 as any. And, for the love of God, please don't try to talk to us while our headphones are on. If you'd like to complain about today's show and the pitch of my voice or the frustration in my tone or the wrongness of my examples, please take a good hard look at your life and consider whether you really should. And then, if you still think you must, please direct all criticism to Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you're a woman and you're exhausted, I hope you felt hurt. I see you, I love you, and don't write to me. Take a 10-second nap if you can. My music. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything.